Luke chapter number 1. How many of you would say, Preacher, I'm sick of all the commercialization of Christmas? Amen. I think most of us would say that. And uh, it sure costs a lot anymore, don't it seem? And, uh, you know, oftentimes I, I will confess myself. They say confession is good for the soul. I will confess that I probably do not always have the greatest level of anticipation about the Christmas season. But that's not due to the true and valid and genuine reason for this season, but much of the noise that the world has surrounded it with. And I believe this evening that as we approach unto this truth found in Luke chapter number 1, I believe maybe we can push some of those things back and push them away and maybe gain some encouragement as we consider in the most primitive of senses or simplistic of senses what great truths there are concerning the Christmas season. You know, usually if you want to get back to basics, you have to go back to the first of a matter. Isn't that right? And that's what I want to do this evening. I, I actually, I don't just want to go back to Christmas. I want to go back to before Christmas. And I want us to take a few moments this evening, and I want us to look at the, the praise and rejoicing of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let's begin reading in verse number 39 of Luke chapter number 1. And I, I sort of believe as we read this, we might find out that we can rejoice about some of these things too and gain some encouragement in this Christmas season. It says, And Mary arose in those days, and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, speaking of John the Baptist, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice, and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us to be together tonight, Lord. Let us use it wisely. Let us redeem this time that you've allowed us that it might be for your glory and for your honor. Lord, I love you tonight, and I thank you for loving me. And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as a self-professed and, and proud fundamentalist, I'm not scared of that language. Uh, you know, there's a lot of fundamentalists in the world, but I am a Bible fundamentalist. I'm not, a, I'm not scared of that language. Somebody say amen to that. It doesn't bother me. Uh, I, I do recognize that there has so often been a lot of animosity towards the person of Mary. I understand why that is. I understand that there are some that would exalt Mary 
to a uh, divine state, to a deity, to a God that must be prayed to and uh, that must be looked to for salvation and forgiveness. Of course, we know that that's not scriptural. Uh, Even in the very passage that we read, when Elizabeth looks at her, she doesn't say, Blessed art thou above women. She says, Blessed art thou among women. And, uh, of course, the Lord said that very same thing to Mary as well. But I feel like because we recoil so much from that heresy and from that falsehood and from that uh, damnable lie, I think that so oftentimes we neglect to give some honor to the person of Mary. Uh, There's no question she may have been blessed among women, but she was blessed as well. Uh, She may not be what some say she is, but let me say that she's a lot better than a lot of people that I've known. Amen? And as we consider her person and study her character, there's much we have to speculate about. But these passages that we've read, there need be no speculation. We have unveiled to us the rejoicing, uh, the excitement, the praise from a mother's heart, but not only from a mother's heart, but from a child of Israel and a child of God concerning the prospect of the incarnation of God's blessed Son. And you know, this Christmas season, that's really what we ought to be doing. We ought to be talking about the precious truth of the incarnation of God's dear Son. And I believe Mary gives us sort of a, a pattern. Now, if you want to call it this, you can call it a song. Some old commentators used to call it the, you know, Magnificat and things like that. and uh, Latin words and big impressive things that I didn't go to school for or anything. But I like to think of this as Mary, can I say this this way? Mary just sort of gets in the glory for a little while. She begins to consider what God has done in her life. And she begins to rejoice at the excitement of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into this world. And so as we consider her song, I think we can get a real understanding what the spirit of this Christmas season ought to be. Now, tomorrow when your loved ones are at your house tearing everything up and spilling things on your furniture and your carpet, you've got to remember this. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, it'll give you something to rejoice about and be excited about. So I want us to think about the things she sang about, rejoiced about, however you want to say it. And we'll try if the Lord will let us to be brief this evening. But I believe we'll find this to be the testimony of all of us this evening. I want you to notice the first thing that she sang about was she sang of a personal Savior. Look what it says in verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Verse 47, And my spirit hath rejoiced in who? In God my Savior. You see, the whole purpose of this Christmas season, the whole reason you and I, if we've got anything to rejoice in, anything to get excited about, anything that tugs at the the strings of our heart, it is only because we know God as our personal Savior. Now, Mary came to know Him the same way that you and I come to know Him, because no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so, when she rejoices because the Savior is coming, she's rejoicing because He's going to be a personal Savior, and He will be the means and expression of God's will and desire to save fallen man. God is her Savior right at this moment, uh, but before her life will end, of course, she'll look upon the One 
uh, who was carried in her womb, but she'll recognize that he's not just a regular human being. Uh, she'll by faith, and by the way, Elizabeth denotes that. She says, you've believed. So uh, she had placed her faith in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And she would rely on him and look to him as he hung upon the cross as being her sacrifice. And so the very first thing she talks about, and I, I found this to be true, man. People that really know God, the first thing they want to tell you about is how Jesus Christ has saved them. And that's what she wants to talk about. She begins by talking about a personal Savior. She mentions first off the redemption that she enjoys. Notice what she says again. She says, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Now, she is speaking this praise. She is, is telling these things. She is rejoicing with her lips. But she understands that her lips are merely expressing what's taking place deep down in her soul when she considers that God loved humanity enough to send His Son and that God loved her enough that He would allow her to have this part in God's redemptive plan. Something wells up inside of her and her soul, her spirit, her consciousness, who she is at the very core of her being, rejoices in the fact that God loves her enough to send a Redeemer. She says, boy, that's something to be excited about. Let me tell you, let's not lose sight in the midst of all that's going on uh, these, these days that we live in. You know, I mean, 11 months out of the year, we don't do much thinking about it, but for these 30, 31 days uh, of this month, let us not forget that these are still days in which if we were already saved, we're still saved. We're still saved. I know it's easy to get distracted, and believe me, I get distracted. Everybody gets distracted. But we have something to rejoice about, and that first thing that we have to rejoice about is that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ and that God loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross of Calvary for us. I want you to notice not only she sings about redemption, but look at verse 48. It's a song of reflection. She says this, "...for He hath regarded the lowest state of His handmaid." Now, let's just pause for a moment. And let's stack that against all of the guilted statues of Mary that are all over the world, against all of the prayers that will be offered to her by people that that, uh, do not know the truth of Scripture. Think about how they describe Mary, but think about how Mary describes Mary. She says, God has regarded the low estate of His handmaiden. You know what she's basically saying? You know how you and I might say it? We might say this, I'm not much, but God still looked down upon me. She's saying, I I was just a poor, pitiful little girl. There was nothing about me that was significant, but God regarded my lowest state. I like the way that, that she says it. It's not just God regarded someone that was of low estate, but God regarded her low estate. Can I say this, that a person doesn't get saved until they realize that they're in a low estate. That's the very thing uh, that tugs at the heartstrings of God. It's not our righteousness, it's our unrighteousness. It's not our helpfulness, it's our helplessness. It's not our strength, it's our weakness. When Christ came, He came to seek and to save, not that which was found and seated and secure and comfortable. He came to seek and save that which was lost. He didn't come to call the righteous to repentance. He came to call sinners to repentance. And Mary says, when I consider what God has done in my life, it's not because I'm somebody special, it's because I'm nobody special, but God looked down on my insignificance and called my name. She says, the low estate of his handmaiden. And then notice what she says. I like this. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. 
you know, she's looking back over history. She's looking, uh, no doubt like you and I have done many times. I know I have, and I'm sure that if you're saved, I'm sure you've done this too. You look back, you think about all the places you could have been born, all the families you could have been born into, or if you was born into a rough family, you might look back and think about all the different opportunities that you had had, or you might look back and think about all the ways that you could have gone wrong, but you look back and think about all that God has done for you. And then you look at where you were, and then you look at where you're at today. Now, if you're like me, there's a lot of areas of your life that you need to yield more to the Lord, do more for the Lord. But as many people have said many times, it's about broken and worn out. We say it so much. But listen, I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I'm going to be, but I'm sure not what I used to be. Mary says he regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. I was nobody, but now henceforth all generations are going to call me blessed. In other words, she's saying there's been a big change in my life. It's a song of reflection, but then notice verse 49. It's a song of rejoicing. She says this, For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. You notice she takes no credit whatsoever for herself. Now, again, the the world would seek to look at Mary and put her on a pedestal. But Mary looks at Mary and says, I had a low estate when God found me. But He found me and He loved me and He redeemed me. And she doesn't say, I helped God do a lot of great things in my life. She doesn't say, I sort of, you know, I sort of, uh, you know, shaped up and tightened up my life and I turned over a new leaf and I, I got some things right and then God came along and, and, and helped me a little bit. No, she says, God has done these things to me. He has intervened in my life. He has done in me what is worth talking about. Let me say in my life, if there's anything worth mentioning, it's all come from God. There's no sense to pander to false humility. There's good qualities about you and good qualities about me. We don't need to deny those things. What we need to do is embrace and acknowledge that those things came from the God of heaven, that they're not intrinsic to our depraved flesh, but they are sent from a God in heaven that loves us, that cares for us. They're good gifts from above, from the Father of life. She says, man, God has done this in my life. It should be no wonder to us that just as with every song of rejoicing and praise in Scripture, Mary's song begins by talking about all the good things God has done in her life. Let me tell you something. You don't have any history with God unless you've got a personal history with God. None. Mary does not. Now, she's going to talk about some great things about who God is, and she's going to talk about some great things that God has done and is going to do. But before she says any of those things, she says, let me tell you what God's done in my life. And there's a lot of folks, listen, they, they want to have sort of a, a, a partnership with God. Uh, they want God to be God and God to let them be them. And we'll just keep ourselves at a distance and they'll, they'll pay the due reverence to God. They want a history with God, but they don't want a personal history. Uh, they want God to give them a ticket to heaven, but they don't want to have a personal relationship with Him. But Mary's story begins with a personal history. I was in a low situation, but God intervened. She sings of a personal Savior, but I would say that she sings of a powerful Savior. Look at verse number 50. She says this, And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he, He hath sent away empty. See, she begins by telling a personal narrative, but then she turns around and starts talking of his powerful nature. 
she begins by saying what God has done in her life, but now she's turned and she's just talking about the things that God does in this world that, she, that we live in. And she begins by speaking of His powerful mercies. Isn't that a beautiful truth? She could have talked about a lot of different things about the Lord's nature, but she begins with His mercies. Could it be that she begins with His mercies because that's where her history with God began, was with the mercies of God? You see, the whole reason that you and I are sitting here tonight is because God had mercy on us. It's not because we earned God's favor. It's not because, I mean, God looked down on us and thought, boy, I really need them on my side. No, it's because God looking at us in our lost and sinful condition, God looking at us bankrupt of anything that would benefit or glorify Him, He looked upon us and He loved us and He sought us and He saved us and He redeemed us and He glorified us in His person. You see, His mercy is where it all begins. His mercy. If you don't know God in His mercy, you don't know God at all. Because that's where it begins. A lot of folks won't get born again because they don't want to take God's mercy. They don't think that they owe God anything and they think that God owes them everything. But Mary begins and she says, His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. She speaks of His powerful mercies. She speaks of His powerful might in the next verses. She says this, He hath showed strength with His arm. Now, it's interesting that, that Mary should say this. He hath showed strength with His arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Now, this is interesting. You say, why is it interesting? Because this is most likely a girl of 14, 15, 16-year-old saying this. What would she know of those that are proud in their imagination? What would she know of those that are haughty in spirit? What would she know of those that are of low degree? Well, if you, like Mary, had walked around with the Christ child in your womb and had to listen to the wagging tongues and had to listen to the, the proud imagination of those that were around, you might understand. You see, Mary had had to deal with the scorn and rebuke that bearing Christ in her uh, took with it. And because of this, she acknowledges that God has the ability to sit down those that are standing with no right and to stand up those uh, that are sitting without any courage. And she acknowledges that God in His power can do all of these things. Now, that may not be very comforting to us as we sit here tonight. I hope it is, but it may not be. But I promise you that to this little girl, it, it meant a lot to know that God is a big, strong, powerful God. And he's got control of the situation. I don't know what the Christmas season holds for you. I know this, that uh, there'll be people in this city tonight. Listen, there'll be people in this city tonight that'll wind up tomorrow planning at the funeral home, sitting at the hospital, facing things they did not anticipate, facing sorrows they did not ask for, and facing trials they did not plan for. I don't know what tomorrow may hold. But at, at, at the risk of sounding a little cliché, let me say I do know who holds tomorrow. And I know that He's powerful and He's mighty to save. And I know that there is no will, there is no plan, there is no strategy, there is no wickedness of evil or of the devil that can thwart His ultimate desire. He's powerful. Mary said, I'm glad He's a big, strong God. <laughs> I am too. Let me say that she notices His powerful mercies and His powerful might. But verse 53, she notes His powerful ministration. She says this, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He hath sent empty away. Can I say two things about that that just flood my heart when I read it? 
When I read that, I acknowledge two things. One, He can give us what we need. He can give us what we need. Now, again, as we sit here tonight, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there's people that are more comfortable financially, less comfortable financially. Some folks don't even know what comfortable financially means. Amen? But I promise you, probably none of us are in the same dire straits that Mary was in. None of us can sense and understand the need that she probably felt. But she acknowledges in the midst of it that God would meet that need, whatever it might be. It's not lost on me that there's a striking parallel between us and Mary. You say, what is that? Well, here's Mary, and all of a sudden she has Christ in her because God has placed Him there. You know, that's true of you and me. All of a sudden, we met Christ on Calvary. All of a sudden, we acknowledged we were a sinner and asked God's forgiveness. And now the light of the world has taken up residence in your life and mine because God has placed it there. And I believe this, that God takes the same provisional watch care over you and me that He took over Mary. God had done this in her life, and so God would take care of her, whatever it may bring. I believe that's true of you and me, too. I would say it encourages me that He can give us what we need, but I'd say it encourages me that He knows what we need. Notice it again. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He hath sent empty away. Now, why did He do that? Well, because the hungry, there's hungry. Amen? And the rich, there's rich. So you know what that means? That means God met each person's need according to their need. That encourages me this Christmas season. Why is that, preacher? Because you may not know what my need is. You might would want to help me, but you wouldn't even know what my need is. I might not know what your need is. I might want to help you, want to encourage you, want to, but I don't even know what your need is. Or I might know what your need is and not be able to meet your need, but there's one that always knows what our needs are, even when we ourselves don't know what they are. I'm sure that Mary... Uh, when first the angel came unto her and announced this. In fact, it says that she, uh, verse 29 of this chapter, and when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. In other words, it worried her when she heard uh, what was said. I'm sure there was a time when Mary wouldn't have thought she needed this in her life. But don't you know uh, that as it began to be a reality to her, uh, what this Christ child would mean, not just to Israel, not just to the world, but to her personally, that she had to confess that though she... She may have not known her need. God knew her need and met it even though she didn't know what it was. You know, that's the great truth, or that is, I guess we should say, the grievous truth of the sinner's condition is that often they don't know their greatest need. Let me tell you something. If you're here tonight and never been saved, you may have a lot of needs, and my God's big enough to meet all those needs. But the greatest need that you have is the need for salvation. And whether we acknowledge that need or not does not change that need. Whether we recognize that that's a need in our life, that doesn't change that that is a need in our life. There's been lots of folks that went out of this world that died and went into eternity thinking they was all right, only to wake up in torment. You see, we may not know our need, but He knows our need, and He can reveal our need to us through the Word of God. I would say she's saying of a powerful Savior, but then I, I want to just point this out and we'll close. I want you to note that she's saying of a promised Savior. Look at verse number 54. She says this, He hath hoped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy, as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to His seed 
forever. Notice that she first off denotes that this birth is a fulfillment of God's prophecy. Notice it again. He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now, what does she mean when she says in remembrance of his mercy? I thought God was merciful every day. Well, when she talks about his mercy, she's not just talking about his mercy as an attribute, but she is talking about his mercy as an action in that he has promised to Israel a Savior. Now remember, there's some context to this. The angel has already told her and already told Joseph that this child that's to be born, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. It is a Savior that is being born. And you've got to remember, in the mind's eye of a Jew, they've been waiting for thousands of years on a Savior. And now she acknowledges, here he is. He's here at last. Listen, ever since Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord and named him Cain, all the way down to this day, they've looked for somebody to save them from their sinful condition. And Mary says, glory to God. He's about to be born. The Savior is here. This is a fulfillment to God's prophecy. This is the one that has been promised. But then she denotes the faithfulness of God's promises. She says this in verse number 55, as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now, there's much we could say about that verse. But I want you to notice the little two-letter word that begins the verse as. In other words, he spoke it, and now he's brought it to pass. The very way that he promised is the very way that he fulfilled it. In the way that he pointed is the way that he brought about these things that he's promised. In other words, she says, boy, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promise. Can I say something to you tonight in closing? Let me say this. If you're here without Christ, you do have a need. You do have a need. And that need is of Christ's salvation. But listen, he loves you. And you may not know you have that need, but you do have that need. But he loves you. And he's willing to meet that need. But if you're here today with Christ, you know that you're saved. Let me just exhort and encourage you. Over the next... 24 hours, over the next 48, 72 hours, over the next period of time, till, till the calendar rolls over again and we forget all about Christmas and go on to our everyday routine, to not lose sight of what the purpose in all of this is. I believe we can take a little encouragement from what Mary sang about. She sang about a personal Savior. And that's what this Christmas season is about, that God loved man enough to send His Son to die for us. She's saying about a powerful Savior, that after He saved us, He has the ability to keep us and to provide for us, to protect us and to encourage us. And then she's saying about a promised Savior. That reminds me that He's promised to come back again, and He's coming soon.